you please remain standing for the reading of God's word. We stay in 1 Corinthians, but we move back as we'll spend some time looking at the 13th chapter. Let's pray for the reading of God's word. Father, your word is living and active. And you use it to divide in our lives between bone and marrow, between soul and spirit. And we ask that you would do that work in our life this day. Father, that you would give us ears to hear. You would give us soft hearts that your word might take root in our lives and bear fruit that brings you honor and glory. Father, we thank you again for this time to sit and hear your word. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, this is the word of the Lord. And if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, And if I have faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. We pray for the preaching of God's word. Father, as my words are true to your word, may they be taken to heart. But if my words should stray from yours, may they be quickly forgotten. I pray this in the name and in the power of Jesus Christ. Amen. Our family has always loved R.C. Sproul. He was a great blessing to us for many years as a chaplain in the military and sometimes far from any good church. We benefited from his ministry by listening and watching him. And recently, my daughter Isabel, who's with us here with her husband and my grandson, um, he's really cute. (laughs) Anyway, uh, Isabel shared that she had recently heard R.C. on a table talk. He was in his role as professor, and having distributed and then explained the syllabus, uh, he gave his class their first assignment and the due date, which was in a week or so, when that came, there were several students that were not prepared, that didn't turn in their assignment. And R.C. remarked that that was okay. He had said in his syllabus very clearly that if it was not turned in on time, they would receive zeros, but they could just turn it in next week. When the second assignment came due, you might not be surprised to hear that there were more students that were not ready that didn't turn in their paper. And R.C. again explained that they are to turn it in on time, uh, but it's okay, and they could just turn it in sometime next week. 
When the third assignment was due, half the class wasn't ready. And R.C. surprised them by saying, all of you who have failed to turn in your paper will get a zero. One student boldly shouted, that's not fair. At which point, R.C. took his grade book, opened it up, noted the kid and said, let's see, you were late your first week, so that's a, now a zero. And you were late the second week, so that's now a zero. And you're late the third week, so that's a zero. Would anyone else like fair? <laughs> Rather quiet class. It's possible that hearing this story, you may actually wonder, is that fair? I recall a time with my own children when I was trying to distribute something among my three girls, and I probably got it wrong. But anyway, one of my daughters said, Dad, that's not fair. And I asked her, what is fair? And she said, fair is getting what you want. (laughs) It's a pretty good definition, really, when you think about it. You think about the times where you begin to say, well, that's not fair. It might just be because it's not what you want. We've chosen to pack that word, fair, with our own understanding and desires. Fair is what I like. Fair is what I want. Fair is what I think is right. And we've done those same semantic and lexical backflips with the word love as well. When, when you hear the term God is love, when it's out there in society or in our culture, God is love, the various listeners begin to immediately fill out the details of what that means based on usually what they want it to mean molding and making God into the image of something that we are comfortable with, something that we can understand, possibly something that we can manage. And yet, here in this letter to the church in Corinth, Paul, in a section which starts from chapter 12, verse 1, and goes all the way through chapter 14, a section which largely focuses on spiritual gifts and even touches on the idea of speaking in tongues, Paul inserts chapter 13, this chapter on love. I mentioned in an earlier sermon a quote from F.F. Bruce that he says, the primary token of the indwelling spirit in a believer's life, the indispensable evidence that one is truly spiritual, is not gifts or speaking in tongues, but love. In this 13th chapter, Paul describes love. Love, that primary token whereby the world might see us as followers of Christ, as indwelled by his spirit. Jesus himself declared the importance of love when he declared, all men will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So then what does this love look like? Now, this is the question that we hope to explore in the next couple months as we spend some time here in this 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians as we investigate the nature of love. Pastor Lloyd has given me the honor of kicking off this series, but I only want to make a few general remarks so that we have some time to look at that first stated quality of love. If you, however, look at your text as printed in the bulletin and take just a moment to look at verses 4 through 7, you're going to notice how packed 
this section is. It's going to be a a joy and a challenge to unpack it in the months to come. But Paul begins by showing two positive qualities of love, patient and kind. And next he quickly moves through what in the Greek, eight verbs that the New Testament scholar Thistleton, he remarks, they describe, quote, what love is not or does not do, end quote. And then after those quick succession of eight verbs, he finally ends this section with a quick presentation of four of love's capacities to bear, to believe, to hope, to endure all things. When you take it all together, you notice that love is incredible. It is perfect in its beauty. It is perfect in its goodness. It's no wonder that Paul begins this whole chapter by noting that even if a person could speak like an angel with power and eloquence and yet lack love, it's just noise. Or if they can, through power and wisdom, move mountains, but they lack love, it's nothing. Or if they give up everything, if they sacrifice all and yet somehow do that without love, Nothing is accomplished. Love is what makes our speech beautiful. Love is what empowers our wisdom to bless. Love is what sweetens sacrifice. New Testament scholar F.W. Goshai notes that Paul doesn't speak of human beings and their ability to love one another in this section. Rather, he deals with love itself. He says, quote, Perfect love is Paul's subject, and it's its qualities he depicts. This is love personified, end quote. In other words, as we look at love personified, we will first be looking at God. And our first quality of his nature this morning is that love is patient. We see God demonstrating this patient love. Then we can reflect on how it is that we can respond to such patience ourselves. How we can begin to live our lives in imitation uh, to reflect God's demonstration of his patient love. It may be helpful to understand the Greek word here for patient. It's a compound word. There's made up of two parts, macro or long, and thymos or anger. New Testament dictionary defines patient as, quote, the prolonged restraint of thymos, of anger, of agitation. It continues to remark that it refers to man's endurance when faced with the adversities of life. As I was reading through several commentaries, I I noticed that many scholars praised the translations that that tended to use words like long-suffering as a good description uh, and a good translation of this Greek word. It's a picture of God choosing to endure. His righteous wrath delayed. His choosing to wait a little longer before he brings about what is fair. New Testament scholar Gordon Fee remarks that these first two qualities of patient and kind, they describe, quote, the two sides of the divine attitude towards humankind, patient and kind. 
limit our study to the first of those two, but I think you'll find that it's more than enough to keep us busy. For throughout the whole of the older and newer testaments, uh, we see the story again and again of God's patience with us, his long-suffering with us, his forbearance. Uh, There's even a, a quote, it's almost creedal, perhaps an early confession. You can find it almost a dozen times that God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. We're still in the garden when in chapter 3, Adam and Eve eat of the forbidden fruit and God delays the full consequence of their sin. Death comes, but it comes slowly. God's patience is then seen uh, to the children of Adam and Eve, first in God's warning to Cain. But then when Cain ignores the warning and kills his brother, again, God delays the execution of his righteous wrath by simply marking Cain and warning all around him. You could spend some time looking at the multiple promises to Abraham, the promises that God would provide for him a son And Abraham impatiently always trying to help God out. What about Eliezer of Damascus? How about if I use Hagar? What about Ishmael? Love is patient. I am reminded of when God asks the Pharaoh through Moses in Exodus chapter 10, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Reminded of when God asks Moses himself in Exodus chapter 16, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? Or when God asks of the people in Numbers 14, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? Love is patient. I think of the times of the judges where there was a cycle of peace and forgiveness or forgetfulness rather than sin and slavery and to cry for deliverance. And that cycle occurs again and again. And each time God raises up a deliverer and each time man finds themselves forgetting God and finding themselves back into the slavery of their own sin again and again. I think of the prophets sent to the north and to the south, and sent even to God's own people in captivity, calling again for deliverance, for repentance, and for belief. Love is patient. I think of Jesus in the New Testament, his patience and long-suffering with the disciples, the questions that they would ask, how often Jesus would correct, gently correct their theology and explain Uh, They would shoo away the children from Jesus. They would try to move away the crowds or otherwise generally manage his ministry. And Christ was patient. Jesus watched Judas take bread and wine with him and betray him with a kiss. He watched Peter try to defend him when they came to arrest Jesus. He drew his sword and cut off the ear of one who came. And only a few hours later, denied that he ever even knew Jesus. Jesus watched the soldiers beat him, mock him, nail him to a cross, and then say, Father, 
Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Love is patient. I think of his restoring Peter, looking at him, having Peter declare three times, Lord, you know I love you, and charging him to ministry. I think of Jesus revealing himself to Paul, one who was intent on murdering the early leaders of the Christian church. Jesus blinded that Pharisee so that he could truly see. I think of the churches that Paul planted, a church like Corinth that we've just been looking at for the past eight or nine months, their early growth and then their troubles and God's patience with them. It could go on and on. We could speak of the letters to the churches in Revelation. We could speak of God's patience through his church throughout history. We could speak of God's patient faithfulness in each of our own lives. Our repeated sins, his restorative forgiveness, his wrath deferred, his anger lengthened. You want to see love? Just look at God's patience. And when you've experienced that patience, that steadfast love, that holding back what is fair, or even, and more wonderfully, God placing what is fair on his own son, letting his son, Jesus, take the penalty of our sins, we experience that relief of being delivered from the bondage to sin, our our slavery to our selfish inclinations, and our self-destructive ways. When we realize that God is sparing us from all that we rightly deserve, that's when we begin to get a real understanding of what it means that love is patient. God demonstrates patience and then calls us to imitate it. D.A. Carson remarks that not one element in Paul's listing, quote, Paul's pithy list, is sentimental. Everything is behavioral, end quote. Uh, Carson is reminding us of what Paul is insisting on, that a proper theology will not just inform, but actually begin to transform us. Some have said that orthodoxy, that is right beliefs, ought to result in orthopraxy, right practices, right behavior. And because God is patient, we too must and actually can grow in our patience. So how do we imitate God's patient love? i tell you one thing I've tried. I've prayed for patience. Lord, give me patience right now. (laughs) Doesn't, Doesn't ever seem to work. He has some plan that takes longer, feels more painful. How do we grow in our patience? Perhaps it might be helpful to look at the Greek again, Uh, remembering that within that word, long is coupled with anger or wrath. So the word speaks to a prolonged restraint to anger. And we may find it helpful to realize that we actually can be angry. We can experience feelings of injustice or an urge towards righteous indignation when we see wrong in our own lives or in lives around us. We can still feel these things and respond in love. In fact, you could argue that you need to be experiencing something like this for you to be patient. 
You may think of a child sitting in a barber's chair for 12 or 20 minutes or a little girl getting her first manicure. If he or she is sitting relatively still, you might say they're being patient. But it's more likely the barber or the beautician who is expressing real patience. They're the ones putting up with the little wiggles, the anxiety, the restlessness, the fear, perhaps even a change of mind. No, I want a different nail color, uh, nail, uh, color nail polish. Uh, maybe it's the parent coming in and asking for more of this or that, and the beautician just graciously responding and continuing on with her care. We're told in Psalm 4.4, and then repeated in Ephesians 4.26, be angry and do not sin. And the psalmist takes it further with more advice. Ponder in your own hearts, on your bed, and be silent. So perhaps the first piece of practical advice to learn to imitate love is patient is to learn to be silent with our anger and to ponder it in our hearts. It should be no surprise that James calls on every person to be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger, and then reminding us that the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. One scholar speaks of this word patient as being long-fused, and silence could help us lengthen that fuse. If we look back to the psalmist in his call to ponder, we may ask ourselves and ought to ask ourselves, is patience a weakness for us? We may even wonder, when I lose my temper, when I find myself extremely agitated or provoked to anxiety or to despair, why does that happen? What's going on in me to prevent me from enduring that adversary or that adversity or that situation a little longer. You see, anger isn't the only emotion that can call for a lovingly patient response. It could be grand disappointment. It could be the sense or the reality of a catastrophic disaster. It might be a great hope deferred that can call for love is patient as the proper response. James chapter 5, starting with verse 7, seems to speak to this. If you would turn there in James chapter 5, you would read, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth? Being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains, you also be patient. Well, I was done with my reading right there. But when I was discussing this sermon with my wife, Susan, this week, she encouraged me to be more patient with the text and keep reading, pointed me to verse 11. And so let me set it back in its context and read to 11, starting at verse 8. You also be patient. Establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. 
You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Her pointing me to verse 11 reminded me of a comment from New Testament scholar Thistleton. He writes, quote, love waits patiently, not only because it deals patiently with the loved one, but also because it recognizes that the right timing plays a huge part in securing the welfare of the other. Love, he says, does not blunder in, end quote. Susan reminded me that sometimes God calls us to a loving response of patient endurance so that we see his work in his perfect timing, whatever that may be, where he can show us that he will work all of these things out for our good in love. For that is how the Lord, who is both compassionate and merciful, truly shows us that love is patient. And when we finally see that truth, when we finally experience that truth in our own life, then we are freed up to love patiently in return. Let us pray. Father, I thank you again for your gift of love. I thank you that you are a patient God. I thank you that you've been patient with me and that your work is not finished, that you have promised that since you have begun a good work, you are faithful to complete it in me. And I praise you for that. Father, I pray that as I grow, as we all grow in our understanding, even through this series, as we see what love truly looks like, if we get a glimpse into your nature and we see you as beautiful as you are, we would find ourselves loving well in response to your love. Lord, you first loved us, and we glory in that reality. We ask that you would help us to love one another well also. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake.